To be young, gifted, and black Oh, what a lovely, precious dream To be young, gifted, and black Open Because that is a song by Nina Simone, Young, Gifted, and Black, that has been quoted a lot, referenced a lot this week, um, with the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, When I read that Chadwick Boseman has passed away, my eyes just kind of didn't register the words. I didn't accept it. I thought, this is a mistake. This is a different Chadwick. This isn't, you know, the vibrant worldwide superstar, star in the rise, um, young black actor that was the star of Black Panther, but uh, alas, that is who passed away this week. Chadwick Boseman died of colon cancer, which he had been battling um, ever since the diagnosis in 2016. Um, he went, He filmed many projects while he was still, I mean, acutely in the throes of his illness, including to Five Bloods and the uh, film adaptation of August Wilson's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which supposedly, which has been said, unsurprisingly, was an absolutely fantastic virtuosic performance, which hasn't come out yet. And um, my heart is just heavy about this one. Uh, cancer has been taking a lot of people this year in my life in addition to COVID. And I think that... Um, I never met Chadwick, but I know a lot of people that work with him, and I kind of assumed that he was in the circle of people I get to work with one day. I really looked up to him. He just has a trajectory that um, was so impressive, so hardworking, and for me, a working actor, he's one of those people that, you know, we knew about, we watched for a while, and then he suddenly popped out and seemed like he was a star to everyone else, but he's been at this for so long, and he was the kind of person that used his gift in a way that mirrors the way that I really want to be able to use mine as an actor one day. Um, I say disparaging things about actors a lot because we're just people, you know, and we've had, there are horrible ones of us and ones that have gone to jail for some terrible things. There are ones of us saying things that don't make sense, like Terry Crews. But at the end of the day, not only do you have a gift of expression and being able to bring stories to life, and when you get to a point that you're privileged as to choose which ones you tell, and then you, the way that you show up for them and the way that you take on what those roles mean to other people, I think says a lot about you. Um, Chadwick was someone who was always, you know, corresponding with young fans. He was visiting young children in the hospital who had cancer, who were dying of cancer, you know, when he himself was afflicted by the same thing. And he really used this platform in a way that was admirable. He was professional. He was kind to people. He was hardworking. Um, he was very private about his diagnosis. He was not someone to be in the tabloids and uh, or anything like that. Um, he started dating a girlfriend who he later was... Oh, it's really hard for me to say this without getting emotional. Who he later... Um, he got engaged to and married... Uh, before his passing um and it's just a very sad loss and a huge blow um 
a lot of people got to know him from Black Panther, playing T'Challa, the lead character, you know, black superhero, huge, huge moment of pride for so many people and and the black diaspora at large. Um, but I think it's more even than the roles he plays, just the kind of person that he was and, and the attestations from everyone who knew him. So what is to be learned from this? I mean, life is just short. It's unpredictable. It's throwing a lot of things at us this year, blow after blow after blow. Um, I think that one thing we can learn is to please, please, please do not talk about people's appearances. Do not talk about their weight. And I've come at this from other angles, from, you know, feminist and body positivity angles, um, over the course of this podcast. And now it's time to come at it from a different angle, which is merely that you don't know what's going on with people. And celebrities and actors are human beings who have the same health problems, afflictions, issues as everybody else. You know, so we have women who have had babies. I don't even want to name the actors I'm thinking about right now because I feel like drawing attention to that defies the purpose of what I'm saying right now. But I know of some actresses who gained, you know, 70 pounds or more during their pregnancy and hid for a whole year because they didn't want to be photographed. And think about how other how many women in real life gained a lot of weight during their pregnancy and maybe it would have been nice to see somebody, you know, on, on screen whose weight fluctuates because that's human, right? But instead, they're hiding. And so we have with Chadwick, he did get markedly thinner over the past couple years and people would make disparaging comments um, saying that he looked like he was on drugs and things like that to the point where he had to take a picture of himself down. So... That breaks my heart. Like, think about going through everything you're going through and you're trying to show up for things. I mean, I think about what I go through to put on a pair of pants sometimes in the morning and how I think the whole world is staring at me. So when you're in profession and you've, you've got to a level where the world actually is staring at you and you're trying to make the best of it and you're trying to show up, you have a huge body of work behind you that people should respect you for, but, but still, they're going to come for you. And I just... Um, I see this a lot, like with how much I interact with social media uh, just naturally, which is bad for my health, but also so that I, you know, I'm aware of what's going on and stuff for the podcast. People say crazy things about people, and I just don't know why they don't know that people can, that the, the people can see them. So, you know, stop tagging celebrities if you have something nasty to say about them. Stop, you know, um, uh, just, just. Think about what you're doing and why. Because if, if someone's a perfectly nice person, I'm not saying stop making fun of, like, Donald Trump being orange. I'm saying if, if there's someone that you like, you're cool with, in your head, I mean, you don't really know these people, but, like, just don't be like, ooh, that dress makes her look fat. That's not my favorite. I don't like this. No, no, no. It's not important. Your thoughts on that aren't important. You can tell a friend. You know what I mean? Like, you can, you can really tell a friend. I think it's a great thing to be able to just text people things you have because you know there's a place for gossip it connects us as a community we watch the same things we share experiences we converse on them but it's not for times like this so just basic common sense sometimes when people lose a lot of weight they are sick sometimes when people gain a lot of weight they are sick it could be emotionally it could be in either either it could be physical or either direction so let's just try to be kind to the people that we 
we have while we're around. And um, yes, um, Obama made a tribute to Chadwick using the song Young, Gifted, and Black. And I, I saw a lot of comments underneath saying, why, why mention the black part? Why, you know, mention that? And I think that we are in this moment that I will get to in the rest of the podcast where people are very comfortable showing their callousness and ignorance. And I don't usually like to use the word ignorance because I almost feel like it excuses something. But the fact that you don't, you're so out of depth of the cultural conversation that you not only can't understand why Chadwick is a loss for black people specifically, you don't also know that it's a song that has a, a cultural you know, meaning and relevance from the civil rights movement that that uh, Nina Simone wrote for Lorraine's Hansberry um, in her honor. So you don't understand how these like two things are interplaying and the message that Obama is sending. And then you still feel comfortable to say something about it. And this is a time for all of us to stand up. We have to stand up. We have to cut this down. We have to stop accepting intellectual laziness, emotional laziness. We are, we are a country divided. We are divided. The people that give a fuck are the people that don't. And... From what I'm seeing, it might that division is is here to stay for a while. I, I can't really say what's going to happen in the next election. I feel like it's fifty fifty, and maybe even sixty forty uh, in favor of things staying the way they are. So, I feel like rigorously interrogate the things that people are saying. For those of you um, unfortunate enough to have family members and friends that are making these kind of snide comments, this is a time to snap it, stamp it out. This is a time to not have diversity just be a buzzword. We, you know, America's um, is burning right now; it's on fire. So, the least we can do, I feel like, is vote each one of us, and then get out there and don't be afraid to get in arguments with people. Because sometimes arguments can yield understanding, or at least you know where that other person stands, and you can try to stop some of the the toxicity and racism that they're spreading with the flip things that they say or the denial, denial, denial is going to be a theme that we'll see a lot. So, um, straight away a little bit, but I just wanted to share that bit of news. This is a very sad time for a lot of us and just, just a stunning loss. So please rest in peace, Chadwick. You made the most of 43 years and set a shining example for others and, especially to artists like me. We are really grateful for everything you did. Okay, welcome back, boys and girls. Um, This is, if you stumbled upon this, welcome. We love to have you. We love to see it. Um, This is Kalechi AZA with Cake and Kombucha. Cake and Kombucha is your weekly, sometimes bi-weekly, politics and pop culture redux. We have a lot to talk about. There's so much going on in the world, and I think that to start off, we will go to something a bit lighter. Now, you know, mayhap, mayhap you won't agree with my idea of what's light, but I think on the list of things that I have um, sussed out for us today, it's a bit lighter. And so this is the story of Jessica Krugman, or, you know, the, the uh, Brandy to Rachel Dolezal's Monica in the versus battle of white women who are pretending to be black. 
Let's get into it, shall we? Sorry, I had her name wrong, but, you know, she has her life wrong. Um, It's Jessica Krug. So Jessica Krug was a professor of African studies at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. She's 38 years old, and she has had her classes canceled now because it has come out that she has been masquerading as a black woman for years. Um, She actually released this information in a medium and an extremely self-flagellating post on medium and um the tea behind that is apparently she only released this because someone else was going to say something first so i i honestly find the medium article um to be a a bit manipulative like it's so self-flagellating as to um it almost sounds like it, you know, you would be, wor- it's, it almost tries to make you worried about her instead of just like absorbing what happens. So, so it's like, let me, you know, do all this. I'm bad. I'm bad. I suck first. And then you won't have anything to say, but you'll just have to kind of like feel sorry for me, whatever. It's, it's one of those moves. Um, so first she pretended she was North African. She said she was half Algerian and a father, her father was of, German descent who raped her mother. So, you know, we always got to be kind of suspicious of people who are invoking rape as a fictitious origin story. Also, I just have to say, I mean, there's a lot of things you could say about blackness phenotypically. Without going into too much detail, because it's not the point of the story, uh, Jessica Krug is a Jewish woman from Kansas City. No, is it Kansas? She's from Missouri. So yes, Kansas City. And she has dark curly hair but Algerians many of them are of Arab descent so the fact that you had to lie and say you were half Algerian to make this work is just it all gets to be like a little bit like what's the point but anyway so that was her for the first iteration of her identity and then she later uh when she moved to New York started saying that she was a an Afro-Latina called Jess La Bombalera Um, from the Bronx, and I watched a hilariously ironic and comedy tragedy um, YouTube video that was some, like, you know, call into City Hall thing. I don't remember exactly what for because there's been so many shitty things going on, but she, in a terrible fake accent, hi, I'm just La Bambalera. I was like, she didn't, like, roll her R. It was terrible. Um, and she was talking about how, you know, police brutality and she's like all these white people who spent seven hours to get on the line. You need to call. You need to give up your slots for the black and brown people calling. And she's obviously white. And I guess didn't see the irony in this at the time. But in her medium piece, she says that she she totally um, only lived a white life. She I mean, uh, sorry, a black heavy quotation life. So she said, I have no double life. Like, there's no white corollary to my life. I did this wholeheartedly for years and years. And she also, but she started talking in the second paragraph. I mean, it's obvious I did this because of my mental health issues. And I'm like, really? Because most people who have the self-awareness and clarity and therapeutic treatment to say, like, this is from my mental health issues, don't go do weird shit. Like, they don't do the things. So... I was just like, this is a little bit fishy for you to just immediately say, um, you know, this is 
obviously I have mental health issues and that's what made me do it. It's like you, you, other people can reach that conclusion, but I mean, or you could announce if you have an actual diagnosis of something, which she didn't, but you, but just saying general, like mental health, I was like, uh, this is fishy. You're just trying to get ahead of the story. Um, so she got found out from a student who started, got some help doing some research on her. And apparently she had been working from university at university of Wisconsin as an Algerian, as a half Algerian. And then, came you know to GW with her whole I'm from the Bronx nonsense I'm like did that work more because she was teaching in DC because that accent wouldn't have flown up here but to be concise which is you know if you're my friend or family not something I'm necessarily blessed with um let me read this quote by Vanessa Rochelle Lewis who published an article that really gets to the crux of why these things are mostly problematic and who they harm and why they're allowed to go on because I think we can I'm never going to be flipping for mental health issues. Like, do I think you're crazy if you make up a whole identity and spend time lying and cultivating friendships with people as, as, as an, as as a fake identity? Yeah. I think you're crazy. Like I, that doesn't even sound like convenient to you at a certain point. So I do think that you're crazy, but you know, you could also be cunning. You could also be ambitious. You could also be like, this is the best way for me to get, you could just be a narcissist. You could be like, I want attention. I want to publish books. I want fame. And I found my niche. My niche is being a very indeterminately, indeterminably black, super light-skinned woman who got to be famous talking about black issues. And so let's dovetail into this, uh, this quote from Vanessa Rochelle Lewis. It's, not, it's, a, it's a basically the first paragraph of an article she wrote. This is from Wear Your Voice Mag. Um, she's a guest writer, and the title says, People make space for white women like Jessica Krug by disposing of dark-skinned black women. I resent the culture we're in right now where your thesis statement has to be the title, but I, I highly doubt she like, called it that. Anyway, here we go. Women like Jessica Krug and Rachel Dolezal, fraudulent white women who pretended to be black for years, thrive because of the unchecked, socially validated uglification of dark-skinned, darker-skinned black women. They thrive because of so many people's preference for and draw to light skin. Jessica Krug is a woman who built a lucrative literary, academic, and activist career by pretending to be a Northern African, then African-American, oops, I guess I forgot that moment, then Afro-Latina scholar and movement worker, revealed to us years after the Dolezal scandal came to light. I'm sure that those two women are not the only white women using the under-admitted rigor of misogynoir, colorism, and light skin preference to sustain careers, relationships, and beloved followings within black communities. Um, let's see, then she, I'm gonna, might go through a lot of this whole essay, because she pretty much just explaining the tea very concisely. She says, I can only speak to my West Coast experience as a Californian, but when I find myself in spaces filled with black folks in leadership positions or academic professions, I repeatedly find myself to be one of the only dark skinned black people in the room, if not the only one there. I wonder how that is. Um, so let's see what else is relevant or like jumps out as extremely impactful that I can just read to you real quick. And basically she says that success is connected as much to hard work as it is to relationships, which we know factually, especially in tight corners like academia. And so the question is not, you know, 
how did they get away with being black for so long? The question is more, why do these women keep getting into these prominent positions? And why is, you know, it, it, and the preferential treatment that we give to lighter-skinned women, how is that erasing darker-skinned black women? Um, they get carried through the doors of houses that tell us we are too angry, aggressive, and not accomplished enough to enter. That's, that's another thing that, um, that this writer, uh, Vanessa Rochelle Lewis, says. And it echoes something that one of her students observed, because now, you know, people, the students are giving statements, and, you know, they said that she traded in the worst stereotypes of black women, that we are loud, that we are aggressive, that we're, you know, violent, angry, etc. And I think, you know, I kind of recoiled when I read that she would come to class wearing tight leopard skin, like leggings and crop tops, as if being from the Bronx means that you wear a crop top and leggings to teach at your university class. A crop top and leggings is not, I think she was supposed to be Boricuan the, the, the third time around. A crop top and leggings is not like the national costume of Puerto Rico. That shit is stuff you wear when you're perhaps a teenager or just earning a summer, enjoying a summer day outside. I mean, Lord knows I wear lots of crop tops and I'm not a teenager. So, you know, I have like friends that have her actual background who are in academia that are from the Bronx, and they dress like professionals. You know, they put on some Tadashi and go to work. So it's extremely offensive that you, as a white-passing woman, felt like you could just push these boundaries and create a caricature of yourself, and you knew that you would be okay, and you knew that you would get away with it. Things that dark-skinned black women wear pencil skirts and get criticized for that their booty's poking out, that they should have left their booty at home because, you know, this is too sexual of an outfit. So... I highly recommend you, recommend you find this article by Vanessa Rochelle Lewis because sometimes these things just seem like wacky. They just seem like a Dateline story, and they are that, you know, but they're also something else because there were a lot of people that were displaced to continually give these stupid women these opportunities, and we have to wonder why, you know, the Talented 10th was the foundation for light-skinned people having more privilege, light-skinned black people having more privilege in this country, but... You know, at this point, the Talented Tenth is hopefully, like, intermarried with some other people. We can't just... There can't keep being these new outcroppings of, like, all very pale academicians, and we don't ask questions about why that is. So that's all. I will say that she also skipped her mom's funeral to keep up the blackness facade, and now her sister-in-law is speaking out. Um, but her brother-in-law seems to be a sexual predator, um who was arrested. So I I wonder if that's the same, like, that's whose wife is speaking out, saying she's ashamed. Then I'm kind of offended. Like, ma'am, you think it's worse for your daughter, your that your sister-in-law pretended to be black than that you're married to a sexual predator? So her family is a mess. And I'm sure she is, like, crazy and dealing with, like, the kind of things that make you want to make up being someone else. But she is a liar. She's a pathological liar. And she's, she, this is not, it's not cool. And, um, yeah, I've already seen people saying things like, well, you know, in comments, like, people can pick their race just like they can pick their gender, and da-da-da-da-da. It's like, you tried it. She didn't even say, like, she wasn't even like Dolezal saying, I feel black. She is openly saying, I pretended to be black to do these things. So stop trying to make Fetch happen. Like, this was wrong, whatever angle you look at it from. And... I'd be interested to hear more, but I think we have to, we do have to be careful to remember, like, 
what the wrong is and the analysis that actually matters. So the RNC happened from August 24th to August 27th. It was, as you might expect, a horror show, um, a racism horror show that could have been produced by Jordan Peele. There was lots of cocaine, lots of screaming. Um, Donald J. Trump Jr. was extremely high. And as someone who doesn't even do narcotics, like it was very obvious to me that the thing that makes you red eyes and just like ranting was real. I, you know, I thought that, okay, like maybe I'm just expecting, you know, normal behavior where I shouldn't. And maybe I'm, I'm exaggerating, but then I went on Twitter and cocaine was trending. And people that are cocaine fans were like, that's cocaine. It's like, okay. His girlfriend was screaming like Rita Repulsa from Power Rangers. She, that, that became a trending uh, topic after that, too. Uh, let's see what else. It was apparently Father's Day because before the headliner Donald Trump the last night, Ivanka Trump spoke for like 45 minutes. And I just had this kind of out-of-body experience where I was like, am I really listening to someone just say, my father, my father, my father, my father. I was like, we just really fine with this. We're okay with complete nepotism now. Like, you have no qualifications to be the advisor to the president. But, you know, the president had no qualifications to be the president, so it is what it is. I was just watching and trying to figure out what her White House actual position was. Um, let's see, uh, Melania Trump squinted at a teleprompter really hard. She looked like she had, you know, was a fembot and was going to shoot lasers out of her eyes. Um, but, you know, reading's not easy for everybody. Um, but the highlight of those nights was when the couple that uh, that whipped out guns at the protesters in Louisville sat in some sort of dark, leather-bound, book-filled uh, corner of their weird castle that, honestly, is not even a home that they live in. It's a, it's a bizarre... It's like a themed castle. And... They said that Donald Trump, you know, was going to save America and that Black Lives Matter and protesters want to abolish the suburbs. Now, I can tell you, I've been on a lot of marches these past couple months, a lot of different types of protests, and at none of them did I hear anyone chant abolish the suburbs. I don't... I just... I don't know what I want. Do I want the racial white supremacist signaling to be louder or do I just want it to be better? I can't decide. I just feel like it's a little bit, it's a little bit on the nose to be like abolish the suburbs. Um, yeah, no one is, I mean, they might've really just said white people. No, they did say that. I was going to say they might've really just said white people, black people are scary. Black people are going to come and burn down your homes. But like, literally that is what everyone has been saying. So you know, that's that. So that was RNC. It was a shit show. Oh, and they had just the amount of coonage was astounding. So many more black people than definitely, you know, proportionately voted for Donald Trump or, you know, Donald Trump has ever interacted with. Um, they just got these black men to roll from under whatever, you know, bridge trolls that they lived under and be like, Donald Trump is the greatest thing for our country. I know he's not a racist. Because he's friends with me. Well, 
I have some other news for you if that's why you measure whether someone is racist, but um, our founding fathers and other famous slave owners procreated with black women, but yet they still owned them, which I would say is racist, if you were to ask me. So I'm not sure that someone, you know, associating with you because you're rich and famous should be your, your measure. But, you know, when you're thirsty, I guess anything will quench it. That's all I have to say about the RNC. Uh, because there's going to be more foolery to follow. So in a new segment of the podcast that I might just call America Burning, and sadly that might be an accurate title for months and months to come, um, I need to cover some of the recent police shootings that have happened and the outcry after, the protests, the violence. Um, So let's start with Jacob Blake. Um, On August 23rd, Jacob Blake was shot seven times in the back. Um, The police were holding his T-shirt so he couldn't move. And yes, in the back, because he was walking away from officers who had their weapons drawn. Bystanders were yelling in the background. Um, He walks around a gray SUV, and I'm... I did not watch the whole video. I really can't stomach these videos, but I'm um, telling you from the Washington, the Wall Street Journal. Um, Blake walks around the gray SUV, opens the driver's side door of the vehicle, and leans inside when an officer grabs the tank top he is wearing and shoots him from behind. Several officers have their weapons drawn. An officer can be heard screaming, drop the knife, but it isn't clear from the video if Mr. Blake is holding anything. Um, and I think it later shown that he wasn't, but if it doesn't really matter if he was. And the shooting has spurred protests in Kenosha that have persisted. Um, And uh, this is Kenosha, Wisconsin. And so what happened after that is a white supremacist, um, well, he's been linked to white supremacist activity like Trump rallies. And a teenager who's 17 went out there with an assault rifle. He posted on Facebook that he wanted to like clean up the streets and went out and killed two people. And for killing two people, for shooting two people, he was just charged with five felonies and a misdemeanor. Um, Oh, he shot three people, two of them fatally. And his attorney plans to argue self-defense. Self-defense. So let's review this. Someone is shot seven times in the back and paralyzed. People are protesting. As has happened all summer, other factions of people come out and, you know, set things on fire, break windows. And I'm not saying that no one who's mad about Jacob Blake being shot is is doing that. I'm saying that it's definitely not any action that is sanctioned by the official protest groups, Black Lives Matter, or anything like that. But it's also buildings. So you decide that you're going to take a gun and go out basically hunting people is what you decided and it's self-defense. How, if you go run into a situation that you were not in with the intent to cause some sort of bodily harm to human beings with the weapon that you have, which is a fucking hunting rifle, is it self-defense? Self-defense is when you're threatened because, okay, I'm not going into it, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure I could take that defense down in court. Anyway, um, so the president, you know, decided to, he, he said he couldn't comment one way or the other on, you know, whether what happened was wrong. 
and uh, Tucker Carlson called this murderer a hero, and uh, fucking, what's her name? Um, the one who looks like a witch who's sold her soul and is just living on the, like, fumes of other people's breath that she steals in their sleep. Um, let me Google her for a second. Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter. The witch from the Golden Compass. Um, she said that Kyle Rittenhouse, this murderer who would have undoubtedly done a school shooting if it wasn't this, should be president of the United States. So, you know, the dog whistles aren't whistles anymore. It's a scary time to be a black person in America or a person in America that has any kinds of conscious or morals. Like, it's just such amazingly horrible things to hear on TV. And it's, it's a, it feels very oppressive. So one ray of positivity that came out of that is that, well, Jacob Blake did not die, although he is most likely paralyzed from the waist down. So this is an interesting instance. And most of the people we've been marching about have died, and we don't actually get to have them here to watch how their life has been effectively destroyed. Um, and I wasn't saying that that's a positive. I'm just saying that that's something interesting. But we saw some really amazing... Um, really inspiring activism from the NBA. On August 26th, all NBA playoff games were postponed after playouts, after players staged a walkout um, in honor of the Jacob Blake shooting. Um, of course, this makes everyone angry, you know, everyone who says that peace, protests should be peaceful. They can't really get together and decide is peaceful when the Negroes are not tap dancing and entertaining me? Is that apparently that's an act of violence because people were pissed and said they would never go to uh, basketball games again. Everyone thinks they're one single dollar of their racism is like going to sink multi-billion dollar organizations, which is funny to me. But um, people were really mad about it. And I just think it's so interesting because throughout this entire thing and throughout my mother's lifetime, my grandparents' lifetime, basically from the beginning of civil rights, it's always the oppressors criticizing you on the way that you react, which is, I mean, what what could be, like, more gaslighty than the person that's caused the issue telling you how you are allowed to react to it, right? But um, we have, you know, kneeling is disrespectful to the troops, which the acrobatic leaps to get there when troops are disproportionately black anyway and you treated them like shit when they went and died for a country... Um, and so now walking out is like also disrespectful because you're just supposed to be grateful that you have a job, which is another thing people only say to black people. Um, yeah, protesting peacefully is also violent. And then, of course, you have the people who are burning shit and whether they're from whatever factions they're from, I, they're, you know, we fully know there's a lot of white agitators that, um, are sent out to cause mayhem because that's what's ha been happening since the 60s. Guess who pays attention when you burn stuff? Everybody. So, I mean, the looting, the burning, I, I don't even like the word looting. I still am scarred from Katrina when they would show footage back to back of black people in a store and call it looting and show a white family and be like, look at how there's, look at what they have to do to survive. And it's like, you thought the white people, the black people, were they, you thought they were like stealing electronics to get in a canoe and sail across their neighborhood to sell to somebody else that don't have no electricity because they don't have a house? No, they're trying to survive too, assholes. So 
um, that's, you know, that's that. And now one town over from my hometown is also, it's not on fire yet, but in Rochester, they have, the police murdered a man. Um, they, they stopped a man who was acting erratic. Um, they put a hood over his head. It's called a spit hood. So, unfortunately, I feel like that is something that they're going to try to use in their defense, that it's a mechanism to stop the police from being spit on. None of them are wearing masks, by the way, which I just think is interesting. And they pushed this man's face into the ground until he suffocated. And so the cause of death was asphyxiation. Um, This is a black man. There was also PCP found in his system, which makes sense because that's probably why he was acting erratic. So we really have to stop taking these racist cops that are on their way to do a lynching for fun. And when I say racist, I also mean like sociopathic. I also mean we got to look at the reason some of these people become police officers. And many of them have a lot of, you know, their higher rates of domestic violence in the police force. These are a lot of them people that wanted to have someone to beat up on. Um, The psychological profile is one that has not does not speak favorably of a lot of them. And so then your good training that is supposed to be so great that we put all our trust in you as a society doesn't lead you to conclude that someone who's acting erratic might be on some sort of drug that heightens their nervous system, makes their heart beat faster, that maybe I shouldn't put something over their head and press them into the ground until they say, I can't breathe, can you stop, or start throwing up on yourself like this man did. I don't know what you guys, what do they want us to say to make it okay? Is it you have a low IQ? Because you still shouldn't be a police officer. Is it you have poor decision-making skills? You still shouldn't be a police officer. Is it you can't react to things in the moment on time? You still shouldn't be a police officer. It's just like, you know, I had the best time this week doing an improv show amazing talented actress Maddie Goff asked me to do it who's also in the Ripley improv troupe and I have now become a part of that and from you know New York and from LA we're putting together this uh this medical drama that's going to be weekly starting September 25th now this may sound like a really weird plug but my point is this I had to audition for that and I didn't train in improv the way a lot of people have and like be part of a troupe I just taken improv classes before however I think quick on my feet. So what would it look like if they hired someone for their show who every time they gave a prompt or said something to me, uh, it took me five minutes to respond um, because I just can't like, I can't react to stimulus like in a, in a quick amount of time. I wouldn't be able to be part of an improv show. Much like police who can't figure out the best way to detain someone without murdering them, approach people that are in the throes of a, a, you know, some sort of mental illness issue or drug issue, which are very comorbid anyway, without murdering them, Uh, talk to someone without murdering them, traffic stop without murdering them, go into someone's house in the middle of the night without murdering them. What is the standard and why is it so low for these white men who never end up losing their jobs without a, without people going and setting shit on fire. Could you imagine if you messed up that bad at work and your boss was like, I'm absolutely not letting you go. 
you took scissors and cut through all the merchandise at Macy's, but you deserve to be here. And then it wasn't until people protested outside and like threw glass through the window that you were like, well, that's unacceptable. The glass is broken. Um, and then you still like, didn't really fire them. Like, I don't, when we talk about white privilege, I don't think we really talk enough about the privilege to have a job that you suck at in every way possible. We don't really talk about that enough. I'm so tired of pretending that people are good at things that they're not good at and they're failing at and ruining people's lives. So from whatever angle you want to look at it, oh, and our president, he compared, uh, you know, killing someone when you're trying to detain them to... I'm not good at sports, so I don't know, like, the, I don't remember the tech terminology off the top, but to, like, missing a hole in golf. He said it's just like when you're, like, you're on the golf range and you, you like, hit some, you miss some, and you lose some. And um, Laura Ingraham, Satan's little cousin, even had to try to guide him away from that level of insensitivity. With her non-moving face, she had to kind of signal, like, oh, certainly you're not comparing it to golf and uh like this is her this is this is his best advocate that he has on fox but we'll get to that because now he wants to take down fox too um and she was like "Ooh, perhaps that's more of an asshole than even i'm willing to be um so yeah i i just <sighs> yeah so rochester my city um not my city my you know my neighboring city that's my neck of the woods western new york is now protesting too. And we got to see videos of the kind of people that really live up there, which who comprise the reason that growing up, you just did not go to South Buffalo. You did not go. I know one guy that ended up there after the club one night and he was stabbed for being black. They like, he got in a hate crime. It was on the news. I thought I was being stood up by this man I met out and he was supposed to text me and we're supposed to go to IHOP or something. You know, I was probably like 18 and I didn't hear from him. I'm like, fine, this nigga is just whatever. And then in the next day, I see on the news, like, he texted me that he was stabbed and in the hospital. And I was like, wow, guys are really going really far to lie. Like, whoa. And then in the news, the next day, I see that, no, he went to South Buffalo and ended up getting attacked. So you hear me on my podcast talk sometimes about, like, I love my city and where I grew up. But just think about that to have a nice childhood as a black kid, it means taking for granted, not even, it's just like something unquestionably that you've been told since you were a kid, like you don't go to that part of town, you just don't go. These are the kinds of things that the black people that you know, for those of my listeners who are not black, hold inside of themselves and just, it's, it's just a given. They will ask yourself if you... You know, you some of you may have been told, don't go to this part of town because it's a ghetto. Don't go to this part of town because it's dangerous. Have, has anyone ever said, don't go to this part of town because they will stab all the blue-eyed people or something like that? You know what I'm saying? So it's just an interesting time in America because we have cross-racial friendships. We Certain cities, and especially in the North, are integrated to an extent, you think, but... The way people live is really different. It's really different. Um, you know, coonery on President Trump's part. He insisted on going to Kenosha, even though the uh, local officials, including the mayor, kept telling him, please don't, please don't send in troops, don't do any of that bullshit. Um, he wanted to take photos with 
the owners of a building, um, a, a business that had been burned down. And those people have the integrity and the good sense to say, no, we don't want to be associated with any of this gimmick. And so he found the former owner of that business to take a photo with. So these are kind of shenanigans that are going on. And then we have one interesting Trump story left. And then I will let you get on with your holiday weekend. So some really interesting reporting has come out. Um, and this was first released in a September 3rd article in The Atlantic by Jeffrey Goldberg that said Trump, colon, as in like Trump's qu- a quote from Trump, Americans who died in war are losers and suckers. Now, if you follow any news at all, you're probably thinking, yeah, that's something he would say because he called John McCain a loser for getting captured and said in 2015 that how could he be a war hero because he's a dummy because he got captured and also hazed the Khan family, the, the Islamic fam sorry, not Islamic, the Muslim family who had lost their son in the war. Um, but of course, it's 2020. This is where we are in America. We got to pretend like everything old is new and we're, we don't know and we're confused. So let's get into it because there is more tea, additional tea. So apparently, um, in 2018, Donald Trump canceled a visit to Asni, I don't know how to say it, Asni Maron, American Cemetery in Paris. He blamed it for the rain, but the Secret Service really, uh, of course, would drive him there in a drizzle, as it turns out to be, but he just didn't want to go. Um, he did not feel it was important to honor American war dead, according to four people with firsthand knowledge of that day. And he allegedly said, why should I go to that cemetery? It's filled with losers. In a separate conversation on the same trip, Trump referred to more than 1,800 Marines who lost their lives at Below Wood as suckers for getting killed. Below Wood is a battle in American history, very consequential, um, fought by venerated Marine Corps, and America and its allies stopped the German advance towards Paris there in 1918. But he didn't. Trump did not understand this information and was like, who were the good guys in this war? He didn't understand that why the U.S. would intervene on the side of the alleys. Sound familiar? Now, this reporter, Goldberg, he outright says, like, this interested him and resonated and seemed like something worth investigating because he has been fascinated by understanding Trump's grasp of concepts like patriotism, service, sacrifice, things that narcissists obviously don't understand, since he expressed contempt for the late John McCain's war record, who, to refresh our memories, was five years a prisoner um, in North Vietnam. So, yes, the fact that he said those things made this reporter be like, hmm, like, let's get into the psyche of someone who says stuff like that. Um, Let's see. He goes on to talk about McCain. Yes, we're not going to support that loser's funeral. He said, what the fuck are we doing? You know, lowering the flag to half-staff for... The guy was a fucking loser. This has been confirmed that there was a fight inside the White House to not, you know, Trump really didn't want to lower the flag for him. But I feel like back then people told him a little more often, like, hey, you have to do this. You can't, like, be this much of an asshole. Um, Let's see. What else are the other quotes that he made? Um, On Memorial Day 2017, he visited Arlington National Cemetery and allegedly while standing by a grave of Robert Kelly, who is one of the men that was killed, who 
Um, his father, John Kelly, was accompanying Trump on this trip. John Kelly was then Secretary of Homeland Security, um, short time later named to White House Chief of Staff. He said, standing next to John Kelly, next to his son Robert Kelly's grave, I just don't get it. What was in it for them? So this reporting was explosive. Explosive. And in many ways, it reminds me of the grab by the pussy scandal where, you know, Trump had been going along doing heinous, racist things, filling his filling his um, administration, and before the election, his team, I guess, full of white supremacists like Steve Bannon. Um, and it wasn't until he impugned the purity and, you know, sanctity of white womanhood with the grab by the pussy comment that people were really paying attention or outraged. This reminds me of that because ostensibly he's insulting obviously a lot of black people, but also a lot of white people and white veterans veterans are the ones that, you know, are elevated to the front of the the veteran, you know, cohort to to represent patriotism in America and things like that. So apparently people are pissed. Um, veterans are messaging, people are like people who are Trump supporters are actually mad. So this is something that's cutting through. Um, Trump denied it. He said it's fake news. He said he didn't have to apologize because none of it was true. But, I mean, A, is obviously true because he said stuff like that in front of us before. Like, I just don't get what kind of a good liar do you have to be to be like, yes, I said pretty much exactly the same thing that I'm accused of saying here um, publicly. But no, I didn't say that privately. I would never say something like that. I mean, you just... People... Mm. I don't know. Okay, so let me just get into basically this Jennifer Griffin. She is a correspondent for Fox News. And I've tried to explain before that Fox News has its late night um, KKK fest and the like the, you know, the the 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. hours. It's like entertainment. However, they actually do have reporters that contribute information to them. It's just that then, you know, Tucker Carlson hires and sell white supremacists to, like, write opinion pieces about that information. And that is what is, at the, is the news in the evening. But they actually do have real reporters. So this is someone who has worked for Fox since 1999. She is one of the network's most prized and distinguished journalists. And in October 2019, after, if you remember, Shepard Smith quit after criticizing the president, he abruptly resigned. He cited Griffin as evidence that a robust journalistic core remained, despite external skepticism. So she she's unbothered. Let me tell you, Honey has a buzz cut and just came and said, my sources are unimpeachable. I mean, it would have been great if they came on TV, but why would people feel compelled to do that with the way the president treats them on Twitter and lambasts them and tries to you know ruin lives? Duh. Um, so she confirms that many key aspects of the story, she confirmed that Trump disparaged veterans. He didn't want to honor the dead at Anne's Marn Cemetery. He did not want to lower flags for the death of John McCain. Um, and yeah, according to, you know, a, an administration official, when the president spoke about Vietnam, he said it was a stupid war. Anyone who went was a sucker. And he refers to people, to people who went as people that like couldn't get out of it. How is this surprising from someone who is transactional in all of his relationships, doesn't believe in the concept of having any allyship or anything like that, and also, like, skip the war because he, like, stubbed his toe or whatever? Like, that's not—is this supposed to be surprising? 
Um, let's see. Um, so Griffin personally was unable to to um, confirm the most salacious part, which is that in Goldberg's story, saying that the president described the American war dead as suckers and losers, but she was able to confirm the other stuff. Um, so then Trump went on Twitter saying that she should be fired, and Fox News is is so yesterday. It's, it's Fox News. It's canceled. They canceled. Fox is canceled. Cancel it. We don't need it. We can we can drink water. Um, and then you know many colleagues came to her defense on Twitter saying that she is a top notch reporter. And they actually brought her on. These are the people that like do news, not just the infotainment part. They brought her on to tell the story. So um, I think it's very fascinating that this is cutting through the noise and that he has a crisis on his hands when he was doing really well before with the very incomprehensible Joe Biden's America shtick, where he showed images of things that are happening now as he's president and said, this is the... This is what America is like under Joe Biden. Again, I don't, I'm just someone who's not stupid. So for me, it's hard when you do things like that because I'm like, but wait, you're president now. Make it make sense, please. And I've actually been on Facebook conversations that I've seen with my own eyes where people really bought this and they said, no, you don't get it. It's because those are Democrat run cities. So, but he's still president now, and what he is, is saying that he should be as president again. So why, if he can't control Democrat-run cities properly now, would he be able to control them in three months? I don't know. Perhaps some sort of voodoo. We can't, we can't really say. These things are unclear to me. I mean, it's, it's a really hard time to be, like, not a sponge or an amoeba, have not a, not a single-celled organism. It's really hard because you just hear a lot of things that are contradictory and don't make sense, and you don't really know what to make of it. But um, this story, if you haven't heard, you should read the article. It's offensive, but not surprising. He's a bad person. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, he doesn't respect anyone. He doesn't respect America. He thinks everything is transactional about what can happen for him. And he's pulling out of NATO and, like, all of our agreements. He's He doesn't, like, I don't... What is, I don't understand what's, like, confusing about this. If you're surprised that he would say this stuff, I don't know what to say. Like, it's weird. It's weird. So I think the internal fighting at Fox is juicy. I think the fact that someone can completely champion something when it says good things about them and then say that they're fake news when they don't, if that doesn't lower someone's credibility, like, again... I don't know why this man is like Teflon Don, especially with COVID. With COVID, we were we were rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. But anyway, let me stop before I get struck by lightning. And um, that's all I had to say. I will be recording more in this next week. Please stay tuned. And I'm going to keep you updated on the new episode drops on the Instagram page, both my personal page at Kelezie, K-E-L-E-Z-I-E. You can follow me there or at Cake and Kombucha Podcast. So I thank you guys. Have a great last weekend of summer. Ah! I'll be wearing shorts and sandals till October if anyone wants to join me in that venture. Cake and Kombucha is produced and hosted by actress, writer, and singer Kelechi Azia. It features music by the talented Melanie J.B. Charles. If you like what you hear, check out MelanieJBCharles.com.